Thanks for tuning in to this week's sermon from Oak Hill Church in Humboldt, Iowa. We pray that it helps you to know Christ, grow in Christ, and sow Christ wherever you are. For more information about who we are and what we're doing, go to oakhillhumboldt.org. Well, hey, Oak Hill family. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in a time of crisis, there is a heightened need to love one another. And here's why. There's an increase in stress in our relationships. There's an increase in self-focus. And there's an increase in people straying away from the truth. In a time of crisis, there's an increase in stress in our relationships. And you've probably noticed this in the home. Uh, We can get more easily annoyed with one another. Uh, We can kind of be on edge with one another. And there's just a lot of, of sin and a lot of of need for patience with each other. And so, as it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that that love is patient and kind, and it bears all things and believes all things and hopes all things, and love endures forever. It never fails. And so, in the midst of crisis, in a time of crisis, there's an increase in stress. There's also an increase in self-focus. A lot of times when a crisis situation hits, we can, we can go inward, right? We can have this self-preservation. I'm just going to look out for myself and make sure I'm comfortable, that I'm, that I'm not out of my comfort zone. Others of us, uh, we feel this self-reliance, right? I'm going to get through this. I can do this. I've got the strength. I've got the wisdom. And yet others of us, we have this sense of self-pity. We we sulk in self-pity and we, we wonder why this happened to us and nobody seems to understand what I'm going through. And, and with that, we need to love one another and realize we need others in our lives to remind us, hey, look away from yourself. Look to Christ during this time. You can't keep uh, gazing your eyes at yourself, but you've got to gaze at Jesus and what he's done for you and how he loves you. So there's an increase in times of crisis, in our stress, in our self-focus, and also there's an increase in people straying away from the truth. I realize that there are many of you who who miss worshiping with your church family. Uh, You're here um, in your living room uh, worshiping God because you, you wanna grow in the word of God. And you, you want to keep worshiping him. And all throughout the week, you're trying to find opportunities to, to dig into the scriptures and to relate with one another uh, in the body of Christ, even if you have to do so over the phone and through email. But there are others of you, you know, since we haven't met for quite some time, you're, you're slipping away. Uh, you're wandering away from the truth. If you were honest, your heart's kind of been wandering away from God, and in those moments, we need to realize that we need to love one another. There's a heightened need in those moments to go after each other, as it says in James chapter 5, to go after the one who's wandering away from the faith so as to save their soul from death. And so listen, there's there's a heightened need to love one another in times of crisis, and yet here's the problem. Everything in our flesh works against this. Everything in our sinful flesh works against this. We don't want to love one another in times of crisis. We're thinking about ourselves, this self-preservation, or we have the tendency to isolate ourselves, right? Uh, Just to go into a time of, of hiding. 
And yet Peter knew all this. When he was writing to his original readers, they were exiles. They were dispersed and displaced. They were out of their comfort zone, right? And they were experiencing all kinds of suffering and persecution. And so I'm sure that Peter's audience, in a time of suffering, how can we sacrificially love one another? How can we remain in this frame of mind to think of others as better than ourselves? And so Peter begins here in this section of 1 Peter chapter 1, starting with verse 22, and he says, love one another. I want you to love one another. And then he shows us how this is possible. And so, hey, if you've got a Bible this morning, go ahead and get that out. If you don't have it right now, go ahead and just pause me and run and get your Bibles. Uh, we want to open up to 1 Peter. That's a book in the New Testament. Go all the way to the back. If you get to Revelation, obviously you need to go back a few books to 1 Peter. We're going to begin at verse 22. And so last week, if you were here with us, we talked about how uh, Peter is calling us, God is calling us to be holy. And now he's, he's really fleshing that holiness out and saying, love one another. Uh, the way that holiness looks practically is that we ought to have this earnest love for one another. So let's look at verse 22. I'm going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 3. This is the word of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so the, the main point, the main point here that Peter is bringing out is this. In a time of crisis, there is a heightened need to love one another. We must love one another, especially in a time of crisis. And Peter's readers were going through a time of crisis, and, and we, to some extent, are also in a time of crisis. And so Peter says, love one another. Love one another. That's the main verb, love. Love is a verb. Now, it seems so simple, right? We've heard this all of our lives as Christians, love one another, and yet Peter goes into great detail here to describe what God is after, what, what kind of love he's after. So he uses five, five descriptive words to describe how we ought to love one another. So let's just kind of walk through that together. He says in verse 22, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere, sincere kind of love. So the way we love is sincerely, sincerely. In the original language, that word literally means unhypocritical. And so this is a kind of love that is, is not phony or fake. It is from the Spirit. It's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's genuine. It's, it's real. So love one another in a very sincerely way, Peter says. Secondly, this love is not only sincere, this, this love is, is a brotherly kind of love, he says, a sincere brotherly love. The word in the original language is the word in which we get the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. 
And so we think about how we're called to live as a family, right? We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why we miss each other so much, right? We're, we're connected to Christ. We're in one family and we care about each other. We should. And so Peter says, love sincerely and love brotherly. And thirdly, love sacrificially. The, the main word love one another here in the original language is this word agape. And this is the highest level of love. This is the kind of love that God has for us, this sacrificial love, willing to lay down your life for someone. This is a love that is an earnest kind of love that that is, is one that we make a real choice. I want to love you and lay down my life for you. So love sincerely, brotherly, sacrificially, and now he says earnestly. Love one another earnestly or fervently. We see him, Peter, uh, say this same word in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, above all, love one another earnestly, and so as to cover a multitude of sins. And so what he means by that is this earnest kind of love, uh, this fervent kind of love, and that word originally in the, in the Greek language means to be stretched to the limit stretched to the limit. We're exerting all of our muscles and we're straining all of who we are to love each other earnestly, all right? Especially in times where we're prone to sin against one another, where it's hard, where we're a little bit on edge. We've got to exercise this earnest kind of love. And that love covers a multitude of sins. As we bear with one another, as we're patient with one another, we forgive one another. And so he says, love earnestly. Lastly, he says, love purely, from a pure heart. And of course, that heart comes from Christ. He cleanses us from our sin and gives us this new heart, this pure kind of heart. So we see five descriptive words. We were to love each other sincerely, brotherly, sacrificially, earnestly, and purely. And as I step back from that, I think, how could anyone love like that? I mean, that's a supernatural love, right? That's not something we can just conjure up on our own. That's got to be a love that comes from God himself. And so the question then is, how do we love like that? I mean, is that even possible? What makes this supernatural love possible? And so what I want to do is I want to work backwards. So here's the command, love one another. And he's given us all these descriptive words and how we ought to do that. And now we're going to work backwards and ask, ask the question, how can that happen? How can we love one another? And it starts with us being born Again, look at verses 22 and 23 again. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again. Since you have been born again. Now, I love what Peter's doing here because he, he does this time and time again in this letter. He gives us a command, but he makes sure to know that we cannot do that command without God first acting on our behalf, right? This is the imperative and the indicative. This idea that you are commanded to do this, and yet the only way you can is through what God has first done for you in Jesus. And so he says that the only way that you can love one another is by being born again, since you have been born again. We've seen that phrase before in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse uh, 3, where he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again. Notice, 
He has caused us to be born again. This is something we cannot do. He does it for us and in us. This is what makes supernatural love possible. I think back to the movie, uh, Back to the Future. You remember Doc Brown? And uh, the question is asked, well, how is time travel possible? And he points to the flux capacitor. That's what makes time travel possible. If we were going to point to what makes this supernatural love possible, we would point to, we've been born again. We've been born again. That's the only way that we can have this love for one another. See, it's not I asked Jesus into my heart. It's that Jesus has given me a new heart. He's the one who's done the work. By his great mercy, we can be born again. We can be made spiritually alive. We can have a new heart that that wants to trust in Jesus, that wants to follow Jesus, that has this new desire and longing to love Jesus. You know, I think about Nicodemus. Remember this story in John chapter 3, the story of Nicodemus. He comes to Jesus under a cloak of darkness. By the way, I just want to kind of throw this out to you. Uh, recently, um, our family, uh, we watched all the, uh, the first season of the, the, the Chosen series. I don't know if you've seen that before. I think you can get it right on YouTube. It is a wonderful series, a portrayal of the life of Jesus and his disciples. And I commend that to you with just a couple quick disclaimers, all right? Uh, the, the actual uh, series doesn't stick to the word of God, like word for word, like right alongside scripture. It's more of this uh, historical fiction. It takes some creative license and yet never strays away from the word of God. There's nothing in there that's heretical, uh, but it's, it's beautiful. It gives us kind of a little snapshot of of the reality of who uh, these people are and the emotions they felt. Uh, The other quick disclaimer is that Jesus, man, you're going to love Jesus in this movie, this uh, series. He is uh, on display as one who is really a real human being, as the son of God who feels what we feel and laughs and cries. And uh, you're going to be moved by him. But remember, that's just a character, right? In fact, we, uh, we watched that series and we saw an interview with the person who played the part of Jesus. And it was good for our kids to actually see this guy uh, with a normal American accent, an English accent. Uh, and he had a polo shirt on. So uh, right away it humanized Jesus. And that was good for us. And yet I want to commend this uh, series. It's really been a helpful one for us over this uh, you know, extended time uh, together. But, but back to this, uh, there was a scene with, with Nicodemus, one of the most powerful scenes in this chosen series. And so Nicodemus is coming to Jesus at night. And if you remember the story, he's a, a religious ruler. He's a Pharisee. He is a, uh, a scholar. He is well respected in his community. He's an older man. And so he's coming to Jesus because he's seen and heard some signs and wonders And he's just kind of wondering, what does this mean? Who is this man? And so he comes to him in the dark, and he just asks some questions, and Jesus says this statement to him. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And you think about what that would have done to Nicodemus. I mean, he's a righteous man, right? He's a a leader in his community, and Jesus is basically telling him, You've got to start over. You're a sinner. And there's nothing that you can do in your own uh, righteousness 
to be able to obtain the kingdom of God, to go to heaven someday. You've got to humble yourself and and basically come to a point where you're willing to give up everything and to follow me, to confess your sin and to follow him. And so this is puzzling to Nicodemus, and maybe it's puzzling to you. What does it mean to be born again, to have this new heart, to be made new as a new person who now has affections for Jesus and wants to trust and follow him? How does that happen anyway? And so we work our way backwards again. So first, love for one another comes because we've been born again, but but how do we get born again? And that happens through the gospel being preached. Notice what it says in verse 23. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. Drop down to verse 25. At the end it says, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. And so the way that we're born again, the way that we're made spiritually alive, is through the gospel being preached to us and us receiving that living and abiding word of God. Now, why does he call it this imperishable, living, and abiding word of God. Well, he, he's making this point to say that the word of God is powerful. It's like this little seed that goes into our hearts, and it's powerful to create life and sustain life. It's, it's both powerful and it's permanent in its effects. You know, it's not like our worldly pursuits in life that will once, once fade away, one day fade away. Think about my daughter Harper uh, this past week. Uh, you know, we received a couple uh, May Day baskets and flowers and a tomato plant. And so we went and, and we planted those in our uh, yard and nearby. And Harper has had a, a fun time kind of watering those plants every day. And yet we know that during this season, they're going to grow, they're going to sprout up, and, and it'll be a joyful thing to see it. But eventually, They'll fade away. The flowers are going to fade. The tomato plant, after it bears its tomatoes, it's going to fade away. It's much like the world. It says here in verse 24, For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so listen, the contrast is we can have all these kind of worldly pursuits on our own, but that's not going to last. It's not going to remain. But when God plants his seed in our hearts, it lasts forever. So the word is like this life-giving seed that keeps you alive forever. And he says here that this word is the good news that's preached to you. The good news, the gospel that's been preached to you. And so I just want to preach it to you even right now. In just one minute, here's the gospel. God created you and me in his image. And we were created to love and obey and and to glorify him. And yet we have failed, all of us. The Bible says we have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. None is righteous, no, not even one. We have not loved God, we have not obeyed God. We have sinned against God and so we deserve to be punished by God. And the punishment for our sin is to be separated from God forever in hell. And so that's our plight. We're sinners. And thankfully, God saw our plight and sent his son Jesus to this earth to live the perfect life we could never live on our behalf. He always obeyed his father. And then he marched all the way to the cross to die in our place, 
to take our place, to take all the punishment we deserve for our sin. And then he rose again three days later, triumphantly from the grave. He's alive. And now he offers us forgiveness of our sins, the hope of everlasting life. How? By repenting of our sin, by turning away from it confessing that we're sinners and saying, I need you, Jesus, to save me from my sin. And I believe in you. I put all my trust and reliance upon you. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And you confess him to be the Lord of your life. You can be saved. That's the gospel. That's the good news. Have you believed in this gospel? If not, why not? I was reminded of uh, one of the many faith stories that has emerged over the past few years People's lives have been changed by Jesus here at Oak Hill. I've been so excited. And one of those is, is Chris Raymakers. And I asked him if I could kind of borrow his story. And so he dropped it off. And I, and I had forgotten that his daughter, Olivia, had made something special uh, to just kind of has, ha- have it be kind of a, a memorial to remember his story. And so she framed it for him. You can't really see this too well. But all of his story here is, is pretty much on this frame. And I love one of the things that Chris said in his story. He brought up the fact uh, that it's been 18,733 days. And we're supposed to remember that number. And then at the end, he says this. Finally, on Tuesday, July 12th of this year, in Pastor Doug's office, I gave my life to Christ. I broke down and cried like a baby, and it felt wonderful. I still owe Pastor Doug a box of Kleenex. Yeah, that's true. I turned 51 in March. I waited 18,733 days before finally giving in to Jesus. He was there all this time, patiently waiting. Upon leaving my meeting with Pastor Doug, I was left with just one question. Why did I wait so long? Why did I wait so long? And I'm going to ask you that question today. Why are you waiting Why are you waiting so long? Jesus has done all the work for you. And this this gospel is good news. It's the best news in the world. Would you receive Christ today, even now, as your Lord and Savior? Would you humble yourself and just come to him and admit your sin and believe in Christ and confess him to be the Lord of your life? You can have a new life, a new heart. You can be a new person. And so notice the progression here. Here's what's happened to you if you're a Christian today. The gospel has been preached to you. Maybe it has been just a neighbor. Maybe it's been on TV. Maybe it's been here at church. I don't know. The gospel has come to you. And if it's landed on your heart in fertile soil and you received it and responded to Jesus, you're born again. God did that work in you to believe in this gospel. And so you've been born again. You're made new. And now out of this new heart and this new life, you can now have the capacity to love others. Love is now a fruit of the Holy Spirit coming forth from your life. And so, this is what God has done for you. This is what God has done in you. And so now, how do we then live? How do we then live this life of love? How do we live a life of love? Well, Peter goes on to say two things. He says in chapter two, verse one, And two, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. And so here are two ways that we can live a life of love. 
The first one is we must put away or eliminate sin in our life that's crowding out this hunger in our hearts that longs for the truth. Notice he says, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. That's a list of five different things. I find that interesting because he had just listed five ways we ought to love one another. And now he's listing five things that get in the way of us loving one another. These are all self self-motivated, selfish things that keep us from loving each other. And so he says those need to be eliminated, purged from your life to make room for what you really desire, and that is God and his word. Notice he says, eliminate all those things, and then he says in verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. Now, he's not talking about immature Christians here. He's talking about every believer in Jesus. We ought to be like newborn babies who long for, who crave with intensity and delight this milk. What's the milk? It's the word of God, the gospel of God. And so, I don't know, maybe you can picture this, uh, some of you, it's, it, hit, it hits close to home, moms, right? Because maybe you're nursing even now, and you know uh, what this craving is like in your in your little ones. I remember back when when our little Harper was uh, was just kind of uh, getting close to the time where she was done nursing. Uh, we we let her uh, Jamie kind of let her nurse a little bit longer than the rest of our kids. So she was nearing the age of two, and and she could communicate to Jamie, nurse, 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 nurse. And, and we thought, well, maybe that's a signal that she should be done nursing if she can, in fact, communicate with us about her desire to nurse. But nevertheless, I still remember that, that longing, right? That craving, that intense desire and delight to, to nurse. And that ought to be the cry of our hearts as, as little children, right? We long for the word of God. We long for the gospel. It's our delight. It's, it's the word, the word, the word, the word. We've got to have that. It's our nourishment. It's our life. It sustains us and gives us the ability to live a life of love. And so, in a time of crisis, in a time of crisis, there is a heightened need to love one another. In a time of crisis, there is a heightened need to love one another. And yet, there's an elephant in the room, isn't there? The elephant in the room is that there is no one here in the room but me. <laughs> and so how are we supposed to love one another if we can't even see each other, right? Uh, Pastor Johnny uh, recently took this picture and submitted it as a photo here in Humboldt uh, locally. And I thought it was great how he captured just how it feels for us to not have you uh, with us, right? The place is empty. And there's a longing in our hearts to be able to come together again, to love each other, to, to see one another so as to encourage one another. And hopefully that's going to happen in the near future. We don't know yet, but hopefully soon. And I just want to say as we close here, I want to thank you. We had sent a survey out, a church-wide survey on email this past week. And many of you filled that out. Over 100 some uh, submitted their survey. And without giving away too much, I just want to say this. There's a wide range of differing viewpoints when it comes to this issue, all right, of meeting again and how that's going to work and when and all of that. And I just want to commend to you that this is an opportunity that God has placed before us 
to love one another. In a time of crisis, there's a heightened need to love one another. We must be patient with each other in this time. We must bear with one another. We may see things differently, and yet we're united in Christ. And so until that day when we can meet again, I know that this place is empty, but our hearts can still be full. Our hearts can still be full with the love of Jesus so as to then love one another. Let's pray together. So, Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus, and we know that without him, we could never live a life of love. You have done all the work required for us, Jesus. You've died on the cross in our place. You have risen again from the grave, and you have moved into our hearts by your spirit to cause us to be born again. And with that new heart, we can then love one another. And I pray that in this time of crisis, in this time of a lot of unknowns, that you would help us to be patient with each other, that you would help us to bear with one another, that you would help us to be inclined to kindness with one another. Father, we are aware of our sin and our inadequacy and our tendency to often go inward and think of ourselves. And so please help us to put that away to eliminate those things in our heart, to make room for this longing for your word and for your love to infiltrate our hearts so then we can love one another. And we do that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.